0: <laughs> All right, we can
1: start making our way to our seats. <laughs> Tim is going to come and, uh, I'm just putting Tim on the spot today. He's going to come and, and, uh, read our scripture reading for us. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter three, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through
2: chapter four, verse three. And our uh, scripture reading is from Malachi three. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts.
1: Thank you, Tim. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we open your word, uh, we ask that you would speak to us through it, uh, That through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, illuminating this text. uh, God, that you would shine a light on it, that you would shine a light on our hearts, um, on our understandings. Um, God, that you would use your uh, word as a double-edged sword to, to cut into the recesses of our hearts and to um, lay bare um, uh, the sin uh, and and uh, the doubt and the, uh, God, anything is, that is unclean in your sight, that you would use it to um, cleanse us and shape us and form us in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are uh, finishing. Um, Today is the last of the six disputations that we've talked about in in the book of Malachi. So if you've been with us for a little while, you know that we talked about how the book of Malachi, by at least some um, interpreters' estimation, is broken into six sections um six disputations you could call them and so basically what happens in each of them is that god uh makes a claim or an accusation against the people of israel the people of israel come back and kind of say well how can that be the case um, god and then god explains it to them and so we've um, we've dealt with um, several issues um, over the course of, of the the uh um, the study, some 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 things that are sort of very hot button kind of topics like like divorce. And last week we talked about tithing, which is always a kind of a, an odd um, uh, kind of sermon um, to talk about in some ways. Um, but we close out with an idea that is somewhat connected to the things that we've talked about previously, but have their own distinct um, claims. And so starting there in verse 13. So, again, we talked about already how God said, I'm wearied by your words. Israel, I'm wearied by your actions. Um, well, here he says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Okay. Um, the things that Israel is saying about their God, God is saying, man, you're, you're speaking harshly about me. You're speaking in a way that is that is not in line with, with who I am. And, and so, of course, the Israelites, as we've seen, come back and say, well, how have we spoken against you? What is it that we are saying that is so harsh against you. And so God tells us in verse 14, he says, you have said this. So he's, he's quoting back to them the things that they are saying. It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape okay so the accusation that israel is making against god is is similar to the one that we found in the in the fourth disputation Um, In the fourth disputation, we basically, we saw Israel claiming that God did not punish evil, right? Remember when we talked about that, about how, where is the God of justice, right? Why is he not doing anything against those who are living in, in evil amongst us? Here, the accusation is a little different. It's not so much that God doesn't punish evil. It's that God doesn't reward good, okay? He doesn't reward those who are faithful to him, or at least that's the claim. They're saying it is vain, It is pointless. It is useless to serve God. Even if we do what he says, our circumstances don't improve. That's the accusation that they're they're making um, against him. Instead, what we seem to be seeing around us in our community um, is uh, that the unrighteous are the ones that are being blessed. The arrogant are the ones who seem to be doing well in our community, not the humble, not those who live in contrition before God. Okay, now that's what they're saying. Obviously, part of the problem is is that they're not perceiving their own lives rightly either. They're not living that way before God, but that's the way they think, okay? So now notice something. We kind of get this parallel reference between this passage and the last passage, and we have this language of testing. Last week, we talked about the fact that God says... Test me on this issue of, of giving. If, if, if you will give what you owe me, test me on this. I will pour out my blessing on you. This week, we have another sort of reference to testing, but it's sort of from the other side. Um, here, it is the unrighteous who are putting the Lord to the test, and yet they are escaping. Um, they're putting the Lord to the test with their disobedience, and yet he's not doing anything about it, or so the Israelites would claim. Um, but their unfaithfulness seems to be rewarded. So, so here's the thing: um, we talked about this last week, where um, the, the the idea that if we are faithful, God is faithful to bless us. Okay, particularly in the area of tithing and giving. He that's that's the passage we read last week. But from the Israelite perspective. That's not the case. They're saying we are being obedient to you, God, and yet we are not being blessed by you. The reality is, is this, and this is part of the, it's interesting how these two passages are paired with each other, I think. Because one of them is about, if you do what I say, you will be blessed. And then we come to this passage and there's a little something different going on. And I think it's basically the idea that sometimes things don't turn out the way you want them to. The way you'd hope they would. We can do everything right. And yet still, in the short term, that can lead to defeat. That can lead to tragedy in certain circumstances. Yeah, certain circumstances. that's an important balance that we have to hold in the Christian walk and in the Christian faith, right? Um, I think it's the thing that separates truth faith from some sort of idea that we've talked about before of a prosperity gospel, of a name it and claim it, a manifestation theology, a word of faith teaching, all of which are not biblical, okay? And so again, last, last week, it's sort of like we talk about you do what you're supposed to and God will bless you. And we might say, that sounds a whole lot like prosperity gospel, but it's not, okay? And this is the reason why. This is the reason why last week's teaching is not that and how this passage speaks against it. For all of the the subtlety of, of those theologies, the name it and claim it stuff, the prosperity gospel stuff, functionally those things are all witchcraft. Okay. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I don't necessarily mean they're, that they're in league with, with some sort of demonic or spiritual force or whatever, but, but this is what I mean by that. Witchcraft at its core sees the universe as one gigantic formula. And all you got to do is figure out the formula. And once you figure out the formula, you can plug things into the equation and you're always going to get the same answer. That's what's supposed to happen, right? And so if you can figure out how to plant the right seeds, if you can figure out how to pray the right prayers, then the universe just sort of like spits out these things because that's the formula, all right? A, a squared plus B squared equals C squared. It's almost like a math equation, right? That's how they see the universe as working. And whether it's, God or the universe or God in the universe or something, you plug in the right things and you get something out of it, okay? But here's the problem, and this is the reason why that doesn't match up with how the Bible teaches, is the good isn't a formula. Uh, the good is a father, okay? Um The good isn't an equation or a mechanism or a machine that we plug into and get things out of. He is a person who is in relationship with us, who knows us. He is loving. He is wise. He is sovereign. He acts not because he is forced to in any way, not because we have turned the right knobs and hit the right buttons, but because he decides to, because he wills these things. He is a person who makes decisions. And so you can never make God do anything. He will never be in your debt. He will never owe you anything. At first glance, that may seem like it contradicts what we said last week. Again, because we said last week, man, if if you will be faithful in your giving, God says, test me on this, I'll bless you in these things. But when we talked about God blessing In, in, through our faithfulness, it's not the same thing as saying he is bound to that some way that he, we owe, that he owes us something. How can our blessing be a function of our obedience? And yet God still acts in a sovereign way. Okay. That's the question. I I may be kind of getting you a little bit lost here, but that's kind of the idea that we're getting to, right? How can I how can I trust that God's going to do what he says he is going to do if he doesn't have to do anything in relation to my actions? How are those things related? Okay. So let me, let me kind of zoom out and and give you an extended illustration because I think it's the way God works. So imagine my family, we have a yard work day, right? You've probably had that. You got a day where everybody's got to get out and do some yard work, right? And so we have a yard work day and my kids come out And and they work hard all day long. Okay? And at the end of the day, um, they've worked hard, they've had good attitudes, they've done, they've been obedient, they've done what they were supposed to, and I say, guys, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go get ice cream. I'm going to bless you in relation to your obedience, we're gonna go get ice cream. Okay? That would be a typical thing for a good father to do. Now imagine another yard day, the next season. This time. The kids are lazy. They have bad attitudes. They complain the whole day. They don't want to do it. They don't really do anything. They piddle all day. And at the end of the day, they say, hey, can we go get ice cream? And God says, or the father says, no, I don't think so. We're not getting ice cream today. I'm not going to reward you for your lack of obedience. We're not going to do that today. Now imagine a third day, a third day where, again, they've been lazy. But guess what? Even though they've been lazy, even though they haven't been particularly obedient that day, the father decides he's going to be gracious to them. To pour out his blessing of ice cream on them. And so he says, even though you guys didn't do a great job today out of my grace, my love, my mercy, my kindness towards you, we're still going to go get ice cream tonight, guys. So so let's go. And at that point, they should say, man, isn't dad great? Isn't he a good father? Even though we didn't deserve it, he still gave us ice cream. He's so gracious. Okay. All of those, probably nobody has any problem with. You just sort of go, yeah, yeah, that's how a father would act. But it's the fourth day that is the problem. And it's the problem with the Israelites. Because on this fourth yard day, the kids come and they do everything they were supposed to, or at least they say they did. They're hardworking. They have good attitudes. And when they get to the end of the day, they say, can we go get ice cream? And then the father says, no, I don't think so. Not today. Now, if God is a formula, if God is a machine that we are plugging good works into or prayer or anything else, then if I do what I'm supposed to do and I don't get the results that I'm expecting out of God, then you know what my response is going to be? It's what the Israelites say. It's vain to serve God. Why are we even doing this? What profit is there in keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Why are we even doing this? If God's not going to bless us in return. Now, again, in truth, they haven't done that. They haven't actually followed him faithfully and obediently, but that's the way they feel like they are. But that's if God is a formula. That's a problem. But here's the deal. If God is a father, A good and wise and loving father, a father who we've learned already in the book of Malachi, shows us out of his sovereignty, is unchanging in his love and commitment to us. If he's not a formula, if he's not a machine, then in that circumstance, what should the obedient child do? Even when the father, we've done what we were supposed to and the father does not bless in the way that we hoped, the obedient child says, yes, father. I accept your decision. I may not understand it. It may not be what I expected, but I am your kid. I know that you love me. You want what is best for me. You are far more wise than I am. You have a larger understanding of the issues that are in, in place here. And whatever you have deemed is right in my life, then I will accept that. Okay. That's what should happen anyway. But Israel is basically saying, man, what the heck? Uh like, If I don't, if you don't give me what I want when I do what you say, then what is the point of following you, God? The wicked seem to be getting everything they they want out of their own self-interest. They act out of self-interest and out of ambition and they get everything they want. And yet I'm sitting here not getting the things that I want and I'm the one being obedient. That's the, that's the, the thing that is going on in the Israelites heart. I think it's something that goes on in our hearts too. Okay. even if we're not quite as blatant as this passage, when we feel like we have been living faithfully. We feel like God owes us something. But the reality is, again, he doesn't owe us. That's not to say that he doesn't care and typically he will not bless, but he doesn't owe us those things. Again, the issue is that the Israelites say you reward obedience, but there's no guarantee that you will. The way it plays out for the righteous, sometimes you get blessed, sometimes you don't. The way it plays out for the wicked, sometimes you get blessed, sometimes you don't. So what difference does it make? Serving God seems to be vain. What difference does it make? Well, then God responds to them. He tells them what the difference is. And the response is a little weird, honestly, okay, because of the form it takes. Because basically what God kind of does is he tells this little short parable Almost it's like for a minute, we are given a window into something that is happening somewhere else. But the answer is within that story. The difference, what difference does it make following God or not following God? Ultimately makes all the difference. So look at verse 16. So we see this event happen, This, this, this thing take place. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Okay? So this doesn't seem to be the people who have been accusing God of, of saying it doesn't matter if we follow you or not. You don't do anything. These are different people. These are people who are being faithful to God. And It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So those who fear the Lord are talking together, talking about the Lord. And it says they feared that these are people who feared the Lord, which feared fearing the Lord is a key piece in this whole thing. If you think about it, this: when the almighty God of the universe who holds life and death and heaven and hell in his hands commands you to do something. And your response is, well, what's in it for me? There's a lack of fear there. Okay, something is wrong in terms of your fear before God. But these people do fear God. Those who fear the Lord, the Lord pays attention to them. He notices them. They are not indistinguishable from the wicked. He, he has a particular gaze on them, and then He does something in the presence, in His presence in heaven. A book is laid before Him, and it says the names of those who fear Him are written into that book. All right. Now, there's 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 different people that kind of debate about whether or not this is the case. But I think this book of remembrance that we see here is the same thing as what is called the book of life in other places in the scriptures. OK, um, Revelation chapter 20 talks about it. it says, I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and their books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book, according to what they had done. We remember the passage in Luke that we did. It's been months and months ago now. But, but Luke says, do not rejoice that the, that the demons um, submitted to you, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Right, Written in this, I think, this book of life, this book of remembrance. The scriptures warn us in different places about the possibility of your name being blotted out of the book of life. and So that's why this book of life, this book of remembrance is so important. Verse 17 says this, because this is what happens in relation to that book. It says, they shall be mine. The people who are written in that book shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Okay, so what's that saying? The people are asking, what difference does it make to follow God or not follow God? And God says it makes a difference because there is going to come a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, it will be very clear the difference that following God or not following God made. Because those who have followed God, their name will be written down in this book. And that book will determine our eternal destinies, whether our names are written in that book. So right now, in our, the circumstances of our daily lives, right, in the mysterious providence of God, it can be hard to see god 's blessing sometimes right we know that um, there 's a famous song by by William Cooper. Uh, the Lord moves in mysterious ways right that 's not a passage that 's found in the bible that 's a, a hymn that was written but but the idea throughout the whole thing is man sometimes there 's just this cloud between us and God and, it, and all we see around us is is heartache and tragedy and 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 destruction and yet behind that cloud, the sovereign God is smiling down on us waiting to pour out his blessings on our heads. But in the short run, sometimes we can't see that stuff, right? And I think the case is, is that this passage is pointing us to a Christian truth that is diminished in our own time, maybe not forgotten, but it is it is certainly diminished. And it is this, that much of the blessing that we have in God, much of the promises that we have in Jesus Christ are deferred hopes, okay? A whole lot of the good and blessing that we have in God are things that we will not receive right now, but they are things that we will receive on the day of judgment. Again, in our modern age, and you can see it in church culture, we always want to focus on what Jesus can do for me right now, how he can make my life better right now? How can he fix my marriage right now? How can he straighten out my kids right now? How can he help me to navigate the past traumas of my life right now? How can he give me victory over the hangups that I'm dealing with in my life right now? That's what we want, man. We want Jesus to affect our right now. And the answer is, often he does. He blesses us in those ways in all kinds of situations. But the reality is, it's not always. We don't always see those things in the short run. There will be some times in some lives where all of our blessings and all of our consolations seem to fall away in in this life to the point that only one truth remains at the end of it. And that is that we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that on the day of judgment, he will open his book of remembrance and he will find your name there. And he will look on you and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And that may be the only consolation that you get. Now, again, just like we talked about last week, I don't think that's normally the case. I think the case is normally that as we follow God in obedience, we find blessing after blessing. In our lives. And yet there still may be places where we don't see the things that we were hoping that God would do. For those whose name is written in the book, there is salvation. For those whose name is not written in the book, who have not trusted in God, the day of judgment is a consuming fire. Right? It's a day of, of destruction. But the promises for the day of judgment for those whose name are written in the book of life are glorious. In chapter four, verse two, uh, we see them described in what I think are some of the most beautiful, some of the most beautiful language in the scriptures. Look at chapter four, verse two. He says, but for those, so on this day of judgment, but for those who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So first, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that we have in God, will rise like the sun. What happens when the sun rises? The rays shine on everything. Nobody's confused as to whether or not the sun has risen. When the sun comes up, everybody knows it. The question that the Israelites are asking, well, how do we know it even makes any difference? God is saying on the day of judgment, you will know it will be clear to everybody that those who are found in my book of life will receive and be welcomed into right relationship with me. And those who aren't will not. He comes this, this, this son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. That word healing is such a cool word. In the Hebrew language, it has richness and depth to it. The word healing is the it, it, in its opposite of disease, which makes sense, right? Healing disease, healing, it, it makes sense. But it's also the opposite of disaster. It's also the opposite of trouble. It can be translated to mean peace. A synonym for it would be, um, actually a literal interpretation of it would be, it is the, fl- the new flesh that grows over a wound. That's the picture of it. It carries with it these connotations of life and abundance in a holistic kind of sense. It's the same word that Jeremiah talks about when he prays and he says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Or Hosea says, when he says, come, let us return to the Lord. Lord, he has torn us to pieces. God has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He will give us peace and wholeness and health. He has injured us but he will bind up our wounds. And and there's a messianic side to it too. When we think about the prophecy in Isaiah that says, "What by his wounds we are healed." Okay? Healed how? All those things that we just said. All the richness of that word comes in. That healing comes with these wings, it says, right? The wings of the sun, as symbolically like wings of a of, of a mother bird, right? Bringing in um and hiding and enveloping its chicks so that they are safe and and enveloped in in the righteousness that we're talking about. That same idea of these wings covering it, euphemistically, is used in other places in the Bible. You remember the story of Boaz and Ruth, and it says Ruth laid down at Boaz's side, and he covered her with the side of his garment, right? Same picture, right? He takes his cloak the way a lover would bring their beloved in close to them and use their own jacket to to cover them and, and, you know, and hold them close or whatever. That's the same picture there. This is the, the 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 blessing that is ours on the day of judgment because our names are written in the book of life. And then this last one, man, leaping like calves from the stall. Okay, you guys know when it comes to animals, I am a curmudgeon, right? Okay, like I got no time for any animals. But if you have never seen a calf leaping when it is released from a stall, you should go home today and get on YouTube and look up calf videos because it is the definition of joy right? It is this picture of exuberance and freedom. And it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful illustration, right? When when you see it. And, and again, if you've not looked at it, you should go home literally and look up videos of calves jumping because it's, it's, it's awesome. On that day of judgment, we're going to be that way, right? We are going to be released into a freedom and a joy that we've never experienced, that we've looked for our whole lives. And that for these people who have not received the blessings that they hoped for, that they are finally going to have those things in the presence of God. On the day of judgment, there will be no question as to whether fearing and following God actually matters. God will look in his book and he will remember us. We talk about it in our our creed, in our confession. In article 13, we believe that the end of the world is approaching. That at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution. That a solemn separation will then take place. That the wicked will be a judge to endless punishment and the righteous to endless joy. And that this judgment will fix forever the final state of men in heaven or hell on principles of righteousness. We talk about that all the time. That righteousness is not a righteousness that we have in ourselves. It is a righteousness that we have in Christ alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone, by being united to him and found in his book of remembrance. And so when the people ask, "And what difference does it make to follow God or not follow God, when I can't see the blessings in my daily life necessarily – God says on the day of judgment, it will make all the difference in the world. It will be all that matters. And so what we find as we close out this section, because really that's kind of the end of the book of Malachi. There's this interesting little passage that's stuck onto the end that we're going to talk about next week that leads us from the old Testament into the new Testament. Honestly, remember the book of Malachi is the end of the old Testament revelation. There's 400 years of silence before John the Baptist comes. And yet this last few verses in the book of Malachi um, are the pointing forward and the bridge to that. But as we close, think about the two bookends of this, uh, that we've looked at in the book of Malachi. So we started off in chapter one. Do you remember what the first disputation was about? What did, what did God say from the beginning? He talked about his electing love of the people. He said, an eternity past, I chose you. I loved you. I wanted you. You're mine in eternity past. And where do we end? We end in eternity future. We, we end in the, the joy that we will experience in the presence of God for all of, all of future history. We come kind of full circle, full orbed as God has convicted his people and called them back into fellowship with him so what i want to do is is we're going to go to the Lord in the time of prayer um and and i think the case is is this is um the application of this passage is, is maybe something that is not uh just like the things we're talking about it doesn't seem like a breath blessing that is is um short term and in your face but it's something that we hold on to in our hearts that resides there and 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 we wait with that belief and that knowledge and let it bloom in the day of hardship, okay? On the day when everything has has, has gone wrong, um, on the day when we get that call in the middle of the night, right? Um, or we get that letter in the mail, or we go to that doctor's appointment, and it seems like everything is falling apart around us, and we say, God, where is your blessing right now? Um, I've followed you. I've tried to be faithful, and yet I feel like you're not here right now. It's at that point that we look in our hearts and we say, and I remember what you've told me in Malachi. I remember that my name is written in the book of life and that on the day of judgment, I will see your great love for me because you have known me and chose me and I have followed you. Okay. So we'll pray. What I want to do is just pray that we would hold these things in our hearts. that We would live in light of them. Um, and that um, as we walk through our daily lives, that these would be a, they would be a wall. Um, against the doubt um, and and the fear um, that we see in the people of Israel on this passage, that we would not live in that same doubt and fear. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, your goodness and graciousness, um, God, your blessing to us. God, we are thankful that um, you were a good father who good, gives good gifts to your children. God, you are not stingy in your blessing. You are not oblivious to our need. Father, as Jesus tells us, uh, if, if, if we ask um, for um, a fish, God, you won't give us a snake. If we ask for bread, you won't give us a stone. God, you are not a God who is capricious with your people. Um, you are not cruel or unkind. And yet, God, we recognize that in your sovereignty, in your providence, in your wisdom, that there may be circumstances in our lives that we um would not have asked for um, and did not expect. Uh, God, and in the moment we feel as if um, you have you have looked away from us, that you have Uh, left us on our own, that you have abandoned us in some way. God, impress upon our hearts uh, that as we have aligned our lives with you, as we have trusted in your son, Jesus Christ, by faith, God, that we have been written in your book, God, that you have taken notice of us and that God, our names are written there and that we belong to you and that you will forever keep us in your mind and in your heart. And that, God, these things will become evident to us um, when we stand before you on the day of judgment. God, let us rest in the hope of that security, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of temptation, even in the midst of struggle. God, let us trust in the hope that we have of that day. We thank you, God. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: percent and signal the cause of the sun.
1: Amen. Uh, good to see you. Glad you're here tonight. Um, remember next week, uh, 11 a.m. service here. Um, everything should be, be pretty much, um, just as it normally is. Um, but, but we will not be here. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Yeah. And the, and the kids are going to come into the service. So we will have, there won't be the normal childcare that we have over there. Um, the, the kids will share in the service. We're also going to have them come up and they're going to lead us in, in one of our hymns, um, as a congregation next week. And so they'll be in here worshiping with us during that time. Um, I hope you hope to see you. I know that I've already talked to a few of you and I know that some folks will be, be, uh, visiting with other, their other family members on, on resurrection Sunday. And so we understand that, but we would love to see you if you could join us for worship that day. So, um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.